is Jamila, um, but people here know me as Jenny, right? And I am a, um, one of the ministry leaders here for the Connect team at Citywide Church. Yes, Connect team, I love y'all. And um, yeah, we have been in this five-week uh, sermon series called Abide. And if you guys have not heard any of the series or the, you know, preachings or missed a couple, listen, I encourage you to go and listen to them because they have been powerful. They've been changing my life. But I'm going to give you a rundown if you haven't seen it, right? So week one, Pastor Mary opened up the series and she preached about abiding with the divine. And, it, and she taught us that God is the vine and that we are the branches, right? And it's only when we are connected to the vine, which is God, that we're able to produce really good fruit. And then the second week, our brother evangelist Joshua Samuel spoke about abiding with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit empowers us to move beyond our fears, right, and propels us into the destiny that the Lord has prepared for us. And my sister, Danny, she came through the third week in her teacher nature, and she gave us the ABCs on abiding in the Word of God, right? How, A, we need accountability in order to be able to abide in the Word of God. And what does that look like? It looks like a little bit of discipline, right? We need a buddy. We need to set our alarms a little earlier, sleep a little later in order for us to get into the Word of God. Um, B, right, it's, it's breakthrough, right? We need to break through the Word of God to get our breakthrough. Because the Word is not supposed to be boring, right? It's supposed to give us breakthrough, and see, the word is meant to convict us and not condemn us, right? And last week, Pastor Lenny, listen. I cried, I laughed, I hollered, I was praising. He preached the house down and he spoke about the benefits of abiding in obedience in God, right? And that, it's pow that powerful things happen when you are obedient. Obedience brings salvation, it breaks the chains of addiction. Obedience restores and redeems relationships. Obedience, in all essence, loosens the enemy's grip on your life, right? And before I give you my title for today's sermon, I would like for you all to turn with me in your Bibles um, or in your phones, however, you know, you, you want to access the word, to 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. And the word of God says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I'm sorry. I'm going to repeat that. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is blessed. We thank you that your word is holy, Father God. So Father God, I pray that you prepare every single heart in this sanctuary and those that are watching online, Lord. Father God, that their hearts, Father, would be prepared to receive whatever it is that you are wanting to deposit into them, Lord. Father God, I pray that I would hide behind your cross, Lord God and that it would be none of me and all of you, Father God. So, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for entrusting me with this word, Lord God, and that, would be, that I would be able to deliver it the way you gave it to me. 
We thank you, we love you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I have a question for all of you. Have you ever been in a fight? Hmm. I mean, I've never been in a fist fight. I've never fought in my life, you know. I just minded my business growing up, you know. I'm not a fighter. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a physical fight, right? How about just like an argument with like a sibling, right? Or if you're a single child like my daughter is with a cousin or like a friend. And my daughter, she's 11. She's always fighting with her five-year-old cousin, right? And I'm like, I think she takes advantage that because she's an only child and she's older, she's taking advantage of her authority. And I'm like, listen, he's going to hit you and I'm not going to stop him, okay? It's going to get physical. Um, but in all seriousness, right, I remember a time um, before I came to God, right? Um, my sister Hazel and I, uh, we got into a really ugly argument. I can't even remember what it was about, um, but a lot of nasty words were exchanged. Um, and, I mean, I even regret it now because once you say words, hurtful words, you can't unsay them, right? Um, and her and I, we were in this argument, and it probably would have gotten physical if my mother hadn't come in between us and screams with all of her might, stop, stop, this is not how I raised you, this is not how I raised you. And, you know, the way we were raised was that we were always raised to abide in love with one another. So my mother witnessing her daughters talking to each other in a way that she's never heard before, it destroyed her at that moment. So just to give you a little bit of background about me, I was born and raised in the Bronx, right? And um, I'm the oldest of three daughters, right? Hazel is two and a half years younger than me. Nady is six years younger than me, right? And my parents, you know, they're still married. They celebrated 40 years of marriage this past October. So I had asked, you know, my parents, what's the secret? Like, what's the secret to, like, having this, like, long marriage? And my father's like, don't follow your spouse on social media. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't follow, and I promise you it will be a successful marriage. And clearly it's true because they're still married, right? <laughs> so for all of my childhood, not some, but for all, all my sisters and I knew how to do was to abide. And we lived a very sheltered life, you know, and my parents were very, very overprotective. They um, didn't let us do anything. Like, there was no sleeping over people's houses. Like, that was not normal for us, right? They were just like, no, if we're not sleeping over, you're not sleeping over. It's not happening. Um, and now as an adult and as a parent, I know that that was just their way of protecting us because this world is a crazy, crazy world, right? Um, and so we had no social life. Like, my social life was with my parents and my sisters. Like, I, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't sleep over people's houses. We couldn't even hang out, like, at the park if we wanted to. Thank God for the house that we live in. You know, we have, like, a front yard and a backyard, and that was our outside. Like, you want to go outside? Go to the backyard, right? Um, but my sisters were my best friends, right? So we grew up always in this great relationship of love and abiding in love with one another. And in case anybody was wondering, Hazel and I eventually made up, right? All is well. But that's because we were able to reconcile very quickly because of what was instilled in us. But have you been in a fight that has not resolved with someone in your family? and you still harbor offense or maybe even a bit of hatred for that person. And that person probably popped up in your head right now. 
And I'll even take it a little step further. We're going to get a little uncomfortable. Um, Have you had offenses or hatred towards other believers in the body? Maybe even in this church. And when you see them, your stomach begins to turn, or you talk to other believers in the body about how that person messed up so that they know that you weren't the problem and that they were. Or even worse, you just stop coming to church altogether so as to avoid having to deal with them. And you're in this tension between loving God and trying to forgive. And I just want to make it very clear that if you find yourself in this crossroad, right, that you're even trying to forgive, you are on very deadly grounds. And this is what John is speaking about in these verses we read a moment ago, where he openly says, we can't hate fellow believers or hold offenses and also say that we love God because we are called to love one another. And for all you note takers, right, I heard from my pastor and I trust him and everything that, you know, people who take notes in church get to heaven faster. So I don't want to test that theory. So if you want to take notes and you want to, you know, grab the title of this sermon, um, I have titled it, I have entitled it Living in Love. So John is writing to Christians and he's urging them that they must grow not just in faith, but in love and obedience with one another, right? And he's letting them know that as Christians, it is a requirement that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's advising them that it is in God's will for them to delight in the love of the Father and that that reflection of love is best seen when we love our brother or sister in Christ. So that means that if it's in God's will, then God will provide all of the grace that you need to be able to love even the most difficult people. So what is this kind of love? In order to accurately answer this question, we need to go to the origin of love, right? And the Bible tells us that that love originates in God. God's command to love one another is loving the body like Christ, like God loves them. In John chapter 13, verse 34, this is Jesus speaking. He's saying, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we know this because Jesus told us this, and John recorded this command in his last encounter with Jesus before the cross that Jesus is teaching them in the upper room. And this is difficult because oftentimes we carry these offenses and we carry these biases and judgment masked in discernment towards one another in the body. But if we're going to abide in God, we must abide with one another. And if we are in God, then we are in grace. And when we are in grace, then we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things that we can't do from our flesh, like loving other believers who are hard to love. And yes, this is difficult, right? Because we would much rather not have to deal with people that go against what we feel, right? Or people that come against what we say and people that are just not in agreement with what we do, right? But I have very good news for you. And it brings me to my first point, that God only commands us to do things he has already graced us for. Now, Jesus, right, when... um, 
or John, rather, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And at this time, when he's, you know, writing this, this letter to the church, um, it's been 60 years since Jesus' death and resurrection, and he's addressing the church like a grandfather in the faith. And we know this because he uses very tender language like, my dear little, little children. And no one has carried the right to address the church in this way more than John. And at this point, he's living at Patmos, and Patmos is this Greek island where um, the Roman emperors would send his convicts, right? They were exiled to this island, and, and John was exiled to this island because of um, him testimonying um, or speaking the testimony of Jesus Christ and preaching the word of God. So he writes these encouraging, challenging words to the church, which are our anchor verses, which I'll repeat again, 1 John four nineteen, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, maybe some of you are kind of checked out, right? Um, I was a little bit checked out too. I'm not even going to lie when I was preparing for this because when I, you know, was given the, the love part of the Abide series, I'm like, yes, I love love. I'm a hopeless romantic too, Danny. You know, I'm like, this is going to be good. And then as I began preparing for the sermon, I realized, you know, God made a little sharp left in my sermon preparation. But even God's left always turns out right, right? But I have some really good news because even still, even so, right, God's grace is sufficient. And he will never command you to do anything he hasn't already graced you for. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the reality of the matter is that when it comes to this commandment, right, when it comes to having to love people that are very difficult to love, we need to rely in God's grace because it, because it is more than enough. Only his grace can make all things in our life sufficient, even in the midst of our weakness. Prior to becoming a Christian, um, I never had a really full understanding of the love of God, right? Like I knew there was a God in the sky and that, you know, he, he was real, you know, but I never knew that you can have this relationship that was so real, right? Like tangible, like I can speak to God, right? And I can hear him and, and I can feel him, right? Um, because the only love that I had ever really experienced was the love of like my parents, like earthly love, right? So the love of my parents, the love of my friends, and even the love experienced in relationships. And even that love at times felt very conditional, right? Um, it felt disappointing, it felt unfulfilled, inconsistent, superficial, because all the earthly love in the world is never meant to fill this void that can only be filled once you invite God into your heart. And so my love was conditional, right? And I only cared for you to the extent that you cared for me, right? And now I wasn't like super mean or anything like that, um, but believe it or not, like, this Jenny was not always this Jenny, right? Like, I was a little petty, you know? So, like, you gave me energy, I was going to give you that same energy right back. Like, you didn't talk to me, I was never going to talk to you, you know? Like, it, it was just, like, this kind of tit for tat where it was like you were going to know that I wanted nothing to do with you, right? And don't, don't put me on Facebook because them subliminals were going to come on fire at you, right? <laughs> like, I was like, if the shoe fit, then... You know, 
And, um, and it wasn't even a Facebook thug, because like a Facebook thug would at least write the name. They would at the person that they're talking about, right? Um, but that was me. I was kind of petty, you know? And, um, but I didn't care. I didn't care because my love was conditional. I, I really just kind of gave that same energy that you gave me. But then when I experienced the love of God, in a moment that I least deserved it, everything changed. I mean, my heart, there was a shift, right? The way I thought, there was a mindset change. The way I saw people, the way I dealt with people, even the way I knew I had to forgive people that hurt me really bad, right? Like, I knew that once I experienced that love of God, there was no way that I'm like, wait a minute, like, other people have to experience this too, right? Like, this love just feels too good. And it is when we abide in Christ that we bear these fruits, right? That we bear the fruits of love, of kindness, of hope. And in the face of any pain and suffering that we endure, by the grace of God, we are equipped and empowered to love. Loving one another is from God. And how do we know this? Why? Right? Because God is love. If we go back just a few verses in 1 John 4, 7, the word tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Family, the proof is right there in God's word, right? It's his love is displayed right here in that he sent his only son into the world that we may live through him. And he sent Jesus for all of humanity, right? Like he didn't send Jesus just for the people who were perfect, who had it all together, who post their perfect children on Instagram and their beautiful vacations and their perfect clean house. Like he also sent Jesus for like the jacked up people. You know what I'm saying? Like the people who are tore up from the floor up, you know? People who don't believe in him, people who are always denying him, people who use his name in vain, people who are full of pride and lust, people who are dealing with addiction and suicidal thoughts, those who don't believe that they even deserve any saving because they're just too far gone. Jesus came for them too. Because all you need is one encounter with Jesus. To not change just the entire trajectory of your life, but the lives of everyone connected to you. He sent Jesus for the woman at the well who had been married and divorced several times. And she was shacking up with her boo thing. And in one encounter with Jesus, she became a believer and an evangelist in her town. He sent Jesus for Nicodemus, a Jewish leader and a Pharisee with a legalistic mindset. He knew all of the laws and all of the rules and only had a head knowledge of God and not a heart knowledge. And he became a believer and would later anoint the body of Jesus after he was crucified. He sent Jesus for Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector who was hated by everyone in the town because he stole money from the poor. And in one encounter with Jesus, he was radically transformed and gave half of his possessions away. He sent Jesus for the adulterous woman who was caught in the middle of the act of adultery. And she was dragged out of her street to be stoned to death. And in one encounter with Jesus, we see a beautiful picture of God's grace and mercy extended to this woman. And Jesus calls her to live a life of sin, to leave her life of sin 
and live a new and transformed life. He sent Jesus for Saul, a terrorist, who persecuted people he considered blasphemous and murdered them. He had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ, and his life was drastically changed in that instant. He went from a life of darkness to a life of preaching light and life to others. His name was changed to Paul, and he would later write two-thirds of the New Testament. He sent Jesus for me, someone who was filled with sin, hurt, confusion, and shame. And in one encounter with Jesus, he broke every stronghold, every soul tie, and I was able to find healing, identity, wholeness, purpose in God and God alone. And you can insert your story here. God sent Jesus for you. Wherever your story is, whatever it is that you find yourself, he sent Jesus for you. Because God has already graced you to do some really hard things. Jesus came for every single one of these individuals to be graced, to experience his love. And because something wonderful happens when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter Jesus, you experience his freedom. Jesus' love is liberating. And this should encourage you. Because it should let you know that no matter what your story is, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter what you did last night, no matter what you're going to do today or next week, God's grace is sufficient. And he's waiting to encounter you with open arms. Amen. My second point is conflict produces crisis, but love produces peace with everything that is happening in the world, right? Um, Now more than ever is when we need to live in love with one another. We are living in a broken and bruised world and the love of God that has been extended to us through Jesus is the only remedy against the darkness and death brought by the enemy. And so we're commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and to constantly draw a wider, more inclusive circle in which Christ's healing love may be found. Because God's love is the answer to conflict in the body. Church, it is in the enemy's nature to bring division, to bring strife, indifference, misunderstanding, confusion, and hatred against a fellow believer. And if this is you, please understand that you are in alliance with the enemy and not with God. And maybe you're thinking this word isn't for me, right? Like, I'm good. I got my people. No new friends. I'm straight. But if people have come into your heart, heart and in your minds, then this preaching is definitely for you. Because the traps and plans of Satan is to bring division, right, and to cause misunderstanding that turns to offense, offense that turns to conflict, conflict that turns to hatred, hatred that turns to violence, and violence that turns to death. Do you see that snowball effect? How a simple misunderstanding can result in death? But listen, the enemy's ultimate goal is to bring death to the body. Whether it is physically or spiritual, that is his aim and goal. And his way to make sure that this happens, right, is to bring conflict that will disturb the peace and unity within the body. And maybe the conflict that you're dealing with, you know, with someone else, maybe it's not that serious, right? Maybe it's not to that extreme. But the enemy brings conflict to keep the church divided and to stop the love of God from from abiding in the body and beyond the walls of the church. Satan's plan and agenda is to stunt us, the church, right, for being able to expand the kingdom of God here on earth. And even though this may not be literal, like I had mentioned earlier, a literal sense of death to the physical body, But death to your soul, spiritual growth, death to your maturity, death to your purpose and to your calling, that death is just as catastrophic. 
And if we aren't spreading love, then we're spreading death. So do not underestimate the power that the enemy has over unresolved conflict. And I challenge you to get rid of that hatred. Like whatever it is, right? If you're thinking about a person and, and you know that you're harboring some kind of feelings over someone, I, I challenge you right now, today, let it be the day that you go before them, right? And that you allow God's grace to be more than enough to be able to extend forgiveness, right? Or even to receive forgiveness. Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, 24, the word says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift before leave your gift there before the, on the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift so there's a couple of things that we see in these verses right we see in order and we see in urgency right the order being listen there's a couple of things you got to do before I can even take this gift right I don't care that you're an amazing worship singer. I don't care that you're an amazing intercessor. I don't care that you lead this great group. I don't care that you, you know, do all of these great things for church. If all of your gifts are attached to your offense, I need you to leave your gift with me where it can be trusted because I can't trust you with the gift that's attached to offense, right? Leave it at the altar. And in your obedience and maturity, go, right, and reconcile with your brother or sister. And then come back, right, when I'm able to trust you with your gift and all will be well, right? There's an urgency. God says, go now. First be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. And in this, we see just a beautiful picture of God's love, right? That even him knowing, listen, I know you carry offense, and I know that I've given you this gift, right? But man, I could just trust you so much more if you would go get it right with your brother or sister in Christ, right? If you say you love me, show me how you love me in your forgiving other people. And this gift that I've always given you, this gift that was always meant for you, right, will be waiting for you. But I need to trust you with this command, so to live in love with people means to have compassion for one another, to have healthy, honest conversations that if there is a misunderstanding or a confusion, we are going directly to that person and bringing it to them, right? We're not talking about it with everybody else but that person. Because what does it look like to walk in love with other people? It looks a lot like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, which spells out some practical acts. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And this is not just a scripture you read or you hear in a wedding ceremony. This is a scripture that you should apply to every single relationship that you have whether it be relationship with other believers in the body, relationships with families and friends, your coworkers, this scripture is something that we should apply to every relationship that God has brought to us and given to us, right? Because love is a verb more than it is a noun. It is what you do more than how you feel, right? Because for most of my life, and maybe for you too, you know, we've kind of always been taught that you know, love is, um, you know, a feeling and an emotion, right? And although there are feelings and emotions involved in love, um, I think the greatest part of love is more action-oriented. 
So we see God's love illustrated in John 3.16, right, which is the best illustration in the entire Bible of how God displayed his love for us and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This verse is the true definition of love, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so in turn, we must love those around us. So do your actions towards fellow believers in the church show that you have the abiding love of God dwelling within you? Because it is much easier to love someone who you can't see than to love someone who you cannot see. So if we love God, right, and we say that we love God and that God abides in us and us in him, then it is absolutely, remotely, totally impossible to be able to hold hard feelings against our brother or sister in Christ. Why? I'll reiterate, because God is love. And so if we have the nature of God in us, then it is only natural that we love our brothers and sisters. Note how strong this verse states the fact in John, 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so if we say that we love God and hate those we see, we're lying. We're liars. And I pray I haven't lost some of you at this point. You know, I pray that I haven't stepped on a couple of toes or anything like that. And maybe some of you are thinking like, Jenny, like why? Why? Like, do I need to do this? Is it that serious? Do, do, I, do I have to do this? To which I would reply, yes. Yes, it is that serious. And yes, you really have to do this. Why? Well, because John, in two chapters prior, tells us in an associated verse with abiding in love with one another, found in 1 John chapter 2, verses, verse 10, where it says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. The brother or the person who loves their brother and sister in Christ does not stumble. There is nothing in them to trip them up in life, nothing to make them fall and hurt themselves or destroy their life. And how can this be, right? Like, how can this be of anyone that is not going to be able to stumble? Well, because love is the great binding force of the kingdom of God. And I'll close with this. Um, when I first joined Citywide, it was about six years ago, and um, I had been completely brand new to the faith, right? Um, I, you know, came to church one day, and in that same day that I came here for the first time, I was sitting, like, right in that section, um, I, expect, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and um, I fell madly in love with him. Like, I wanted to do all the things. Like, I just opened up my heart, and I was like, Lord, have your way. And like, I'm telling you, I knew nothing of the Bible. Like, if you had asked me who Moses was, I would have been like, okay, like, let my people go. I don't, I don't know, right? I had no idea. And it's a true story because I actually had like a coffee, you know, date with someone from church. Um, you know, we had coffee, we were fellowshipping, and I was, you know, kind of telling her a little bit of my story. And she's just like, sis, don't you know what Moses did in the Bible? And I was like, no, sis, but tell me, because it, it sounds like it's about to be really good, right? And I was just so amazed and in love with just the word of God and, and that I was developing this relationship with, with this God that has always been around, right? This God that has always 
been there for me and been there with me. And, and because I was so in the world, I had no idea that I can have a love like this, right? That uh, this relationship could exist, that I can actually talk to this God, right? And hear from him. And that I can feel his love just literally hugging my heart. And when I had given my, love, my life to God, it was in that moment that I was like, all right, God, I've taken the wheel for too long. Jesus, take the wheel. And I had no idea what he was getting ready to do in my life. And um, I, was, I was just so, like, amazed with God and, and, and believers and fellowship. They had, you know, announced this meeting that I don't think I was supposed to hear, right? And um, it was a locker room meeting, right? And me and my friend, we were like, oh, my God, there's a meeting with other fellow believers and they're fellowshipping. We don't know what that means, but let's find out, right? So, so we go and we crash this locker room, right? So now the part of the meeting that I didn't hear about was that it was for volunteers only, and everybody knew that we were strangers except her and I, right? Because we were up in there eating their tacos, we were drinking their juice, their soda, you know? But I knew, though, in that moment that I belonged in this church because they never said anything. They just accepted us, and it was like, later we ended up finding out, like, oh, my God, we're not even volunteers. Like, we totally crashed their party, right? And, but it was just the love that was abiding in them, that exuded in their serving, that exuded in just the way they loved on us. So they let us rock, right? We were, we were freeloaders that day. Um, but we immediately, literally became church, like members, like the week after. Um, and then I remember joining my first small groups, right? And it was a woman's group. And it was, um, it was led in just at Pastor Senny's house, actually. And now I had been brand new, right? So all these women are kind of strangers. I don't know them. And um, I remember being completely afraid to share my testimony. Or not even my testimony, because at that point, it, was, it wasn't even a testimony. Like, I was just living in sin, you know? And um, as I had been growing my relationship with Christ, I was becoming more aware um, that the more I was coming close to God, the more God was revealing to me that God was in, in the center of the relationship that I was in. And, you know, I was, I was afraid to speak about it. I was afraid to speak about it because if I didn't talk about it, they wouldn't know, right? And it didn't matter. But when you abide in love with God, the things that matter to God matter to you. And um, it mattered to those women in that room. And for the first time, um, I became vulnerable and completely transparent to these women. And um, I pretty much just told them everything that was just in my heart that was, burdening, um, that was burdening me so much. I was talking to them how I was struggling with sexual immorality and unworthiness and how I was afraid that, if I, that I would be alone if I chose a life of celibacy. So I chose my relationship with man over my relationship with God. And in all the while, never, not for a second, not in any moment did I feel condemned by anybody in that room. Never did I feel judged. Never did any of them ridicule me or give me a lecture on how I had to get things right with God or I was going to go to hell. All I saw from every single one of those women was the way that God's love abided in them. And it showed in the way that they displayed their gentleness in their listening, in their wiping my tears from my face, in their hugging me. And it was in that love, right? It was that love that helped carry me when I was able to make the decision to pursue a life of purity by myself. 
That love kept me from stumbling over things that the enemy was trying to trip me up with. That love kept me grounded and focused, which brings me to my final point, that hatred makes you stumble, but love makes you stable. Again, I repeat 1 John verse, chapter 2, verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Every woman in that room that night that I had shared what I was struggling with, they were in the light of grace because that light was caused by God's abiding love. Hatred is the biggest stumbling block in being able to abide in love with others. It also disturbs your peace. It keeps you from being sober-minded. So you move out of feelings and emotions rather than from truth. It keeps you in denial, not being able to be accountable for your actions, and, and so you operate out of pride. And essentially who you are is just a, pep, a puppet for the enemy. Where on the contrary, love makes you stable. It keeps you grounded. You are unmovable and unshakable. It makes you sure of who you are and whose you are. It makes you confident. It brings you peace and it brings you joy. Abiding in love with others is God's will for your life. The greatest need of a person is love. And not with the sentimental feelings and passions, right, of the world that come and go freely as the shooting stars from the sky. A person needs to be loved with the love of God. This kind of love pulls people together. It doesn't tear them apart. The man who loves his neighbor, and when I say man, I mean humanity, men and women, right, loves his neighbor like this and will not fail to live the life that they should live. So if you're carrying any offenses against a person, then you are living beneath God's best for you and you are stumbling and unstable. If you hold hard feelings of hatred, you are stumbling and unstable. If you can't find it in your heart to forgive someone or some people, you are stumbling and unstable. If you are gossiping and letting other people know how sister so-and-so and, -so and brother so-and-so have so wronged you, you are stumbling and unstable and God's love cannot be in you. However, there's good news. I know it's been a little so down lately, <laughs> but I have some good news, and that is that God's grace is here. God's grace is in this moment, and it's sufficient for you. Amen? Stand to your feet. I want to challenge you all today, and I mean today, not later, not like tomorrow, not this week, but today, that if during this moment, you feel like um, someone has come into your mind, you know, or you're harboring any kind of offense, um, any kind of unforgiveness. Let's do like Matthew 5.23 says, right? That we should go now and reconcile with that person, right? So that we're able to live in God's liberating love, right? And write their names down right? Maybe it's one person, maybe it's a couple people, but be intentional in this thing, right? That if you want to live God's best for your life, then maybe this is somewhere in your life, right? That you really need to just leave at the altar, give it to God, and operate in his Holy Spirit, right? Let his grace be sufficient for you to be able to do this thing in your life. And now don't turn this into, well, I'm going to be a bigger person, so I'm going to reach out to them first. Like, that's not abiding in love, right? We're, we're, not, we're not called to be the bigger person. Nowhere in the Bible does it say be the bigger person. No. We're just going to be Jesus, right? Amen. So I want to pray for two groups of people. Um, I want to pray for those that are harboring offense, you know, and those that may be um, dealing with unforgiveness. And, you know, you just can't get past it. 
you can't get past it and maybe you're so full of pride that you can't see it um, or maybe you can see it and you are just having a tough time um, being able to forgive this person or other people. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and I really pray that you feel God's abundant, abundance love, right, just in your heart right now. So Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Father God, we just pray over every single person in this room, those that are watching online. Father, that if they are harboring any offenses, Lord God, we pray, Lord, that you would fill their hearts with your abiding love, Father God. Father God, that you would soften their hearts, Lord God, and that they would be able to move past offense, Father God, that they would be able to move past pride, Lord God, and Father God, we pray right now that even in this moment, Father God, that the people's, um, the hearts that you're touching, Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just increase within them, Lord God. Give them wisdom, Father God. Give them the words, Lord God. Give them your heart, Father God, that they would not move from their flesh, but they would move with your spirit, Lord Heavenly Father. So Father God, I just thank you. I thank you, Father God, for the relationships that are going to be restored, Father. I thank you for the relationships that you're going to redeem, Father God, in this moment, Lord. And I, we just thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I want to pray for a second group of people. And this group, maybe you don't know Jesus, right? And you've never experienced the love of God before. I want to let you know that it is here today, and it is here for you, and his grace is sufficient, and it is more than enough. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around you. If you feel like the void that is in your heart is because you know you need to invite God in, and you know that you are a sinner in need of a savior. I just want you to shoot your hands up in the air right now. No one's looking. No one's judging you. No one's even paying attention. This is just a, a declaration you're making between you and God, knowing, God, I need you. I can't do this life alone. I need your love. So, Father God, I am opening my heart to you, and I want to receive you today. Come on, if that's you, just raise your hand in the air. If it's anybody online, we have moderators online who are there to pray with you. Come on. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Father God, we thank you. Just pray with me. We thank you, Lord God. And we love you, God. Father God, I am a sinner in need of saving. And Father God, I know that your grace is more than enough. So God, I invite you in my heart. I invite you in my life. And Father God, all of the things that I've made wrong, I allow you and give you permission to make it right. I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and that he died for my sins. So Father God, I walk out of this place accepting your love and walking in love today and for all the days of my life. I thank you. I love you. I honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good, church. You are dismissed. Abide in love with one another, and we will see you Wednesday.